Yo, 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 what's good? How y'all doing today? Today is July 21st. It's a Wednesday. I hope y'all having a great Wednesday. I'm enjoying my Wednesday. It's been an interesting day so far. But this is an open conversation with your boy, B-Will, man. I'm glad y'all tuned back in. Um, We're going to get right into it, man. We're going to talk about talk about these NBA finals, man. Last night, the Bucks closed out the Suns in six games. A great performance. Giannis dropped a 50-piece nugget on them boys to get the job done. And, and honestly, I was watching, and that was the story of the game for the most part. It was too much Giannis, man. Giannis was able to get what he want when he wanted. Like early, he was going at DeAndre Ayton, going right in his chest, letting him know it was going to be physical the whole game. And it was, and, and Giannis got his way. As you can see, 50 points, 14 rebounds. Handling business, man, and uh, on top of that, I want to give my my flowers to Drew Holiday. Like I'm, I've on many occasions said that his offense leaves a lot to be desired, and just specifically speaking on this finals, like he was not really hooping consistently on the offensive side of the ball. But I must say, on the defensive end, he handled business game in and game out, and he came up with some incredible plays, man. Still in the ball, he finished with a stat line. He had 12 points and 11 assists. You know. Okay, you would like a lot more than 12 points from your starting guard, but hey, man, it's whatever. The 11 assists was nice getting other people involved, and, you know, they won the game, won a ring, so. But he was just there all night, and uh, his defense is so impactful. I noticed early in the game that the game plan seemed to be from the Suns. Uh, they was going to run the offense through whoever Drew Holiday wasn't guarding. So if Drew Holiday came out on Devin Booker, you know, Chris Paul was going to be able to run the offense, get the team into their sets and into the offense so they could score. Uh, and if Drew Holiday came out on Chris Paul, then Devin Booker would be running the offense. And, you know, they was kind of trying to alleviate some of that on-ball pressure from being effective from Drew Holiday. And it really didn't work, man, because the Bucks to counter that, they was like, nah, who, whoever got the ball, whoever think they about to run this offense, you go neutralize them and, and be effective, be a pest. And, man, Drew Holiday did an amazing job no matter who he was guarding, man. Strips, blocks, steals, just, you know, just crazy plays, just amazing plays. So, shout out to Drew Holiday. Congrats to him. Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton, you know, he didn't have, like, an amazing performance last night. 17 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. Cool numbers, I guess. You want a little bit more from uh, your all-star. You know, Chris, I say a couple times, you know, Chris Middleton is like a that bubble type of an all-star kind of guy. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Nevertheless, a great player in his own regard and his late game shot making this, this whole postseason, I want to say, but you know, in these finals, when, when the shots mattered the most, Chris Middleton would put them up and they would go in and, and that has to be, uh, celebrated and acknowledged because Chris Middleton did a good job at being a go-to shot maker for the Bucks late in games and in pressure situations. He uh he became a diamond, you know, pressure either bust pipes or make diamonds. And he became a diamond in the pressure moment. So shout out to Chris Middleton. Um, Bobby Portis, man, came off the bench, gave him boys 16 points, high energy player. You know, he's scrappy. He get the crowd involved. You know, he animated. Uh, he, he was hitting threes, man. Bobby Portis can shoot the ball. He was it wasn't just threes, though. He was hitting his mid range jumpers, just making the right plays. Bobby Portis, 16 points, you know, gave the gave the Bucks great minutes. That was real crucial down the stretch. It's a team effort if you want to win in anything. And um, he played his role phenomenal. And uh, it led to a contribution to a, a championship. 
Um, on the reverse side of things in this game, the Suns, man, it's just unfortunate for the Suns. They started off 2-0, and they looked like they had the Bucks number for the first two games. Uh, I thought they was handling them, handling them pretty well. And had you talked to me after game two, I would have said the Suns got this. I, I didn't see the series going longer than five games the way the Suns was playing. Aiton was playing uh, above the standard that in my mind I thought he would play at. Um, you know, Booker was doing his thing. CP3 was balling. You know, they they was they was playing well. And, you know, even the um, role players for the Suns, Drake, Jay Crowder, Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson, all hitting shots and defending at a real high level. And, um, you know, unfortunately, they wasn't able to carry that same effort and that same that same level of play throughout the, the whole series to get them a win. Uh, but it is I think it should be noted that them young players was balling. Uh, Michael Bridges and Cam Johnson, even Cameron Payne uh, played really well throughout the whole postseason for the Suns. And, um, you know, they, they was a part of amazing run by the Suns that shouldn't go untalked about. So I want to get them boys. They flowers right here right now. But in this game last night, it was just kind of like a poor shoot night from the Suns. They re wasn't really consistent, wasn't really hot from three like they had been in previous games. Uh, you know, CP3 had 26 points, five rebounds, five assists. But like I said, he, he wasn't initiating the offense all the time while he was on the floor. And it, he wasn't able to kind of get everybody involved and get everybody those great looks and great shots like CP3 is able to do. You know, as you can see, he only had five assists, which is kind of abnormal. You know, CP3 is, is usually around 10 assists, maybe a little under uh, a, a, a little bit more. But five assists is definitely a low game in the assist category for, for Chris Paul. Devin Booker didn't even crack 20 points. He had 19, five assists. And, and what's notable is he was 0 for 7 from three-point, you know. Uh, the previous game, he was 2 for 4 from three-point. You know, he's very selective with the three-point shots he take. But last night, took seven of them, couldn't get one of them to drop, you know. He hit a couple of those. They only lost by seven points. Uh, you know, he hit a couple of those. It's a different game, you know. They... Three of those, and according to the score, if you go out, go by the score, they win by two points. So you know it's it's uh you know, but you know when it comes to shooting jumpers, you live by it and you die by it. Yeah, the final score was ninety eight to one hundred and five, so a seven point margin of defeat for the Suns, and it's unfortunate. It's it's tough, especially knowing y'all had a two zero lead. But like I said, that that this last game, this game six was just an all shoot night. Um. Wasn't getting a lot of contributions from guys who were stepping up and contributing in prior games. Um, the Bucks was able to, like, really neutralize them other guys. You know, Cam Johnson was only one for five last night, one for four from three point. So it's like, you know, just it's just really tough when, you know, your, your main guys, you know, Chris Paul with 26, but Devin Booker really didn't have it going last night. I believe he was like eight for 22 from the field. You know, you're going to need other guys to step up to, you know, uh, fill in where you know your star players is coming up short a little bit because it happens everybody has off nights you know so you, that that's just part of the game and it's part of every sport you know you're gonna have them nights where you ain't as on as you usually are and you know it's unfortunate that it's in like the biggest game of the series a closeout game for for the title and uh you know booker was coming out a little flat i i think something else that's a little bit more important to note out as far as subpar performances DeAndre Ayton man he looked um looked a little nervous last night you know he was like bobbling the ball I, I think uh offensively you know he only gonna get so many points because he's gonna do what his guards can do for him if that makes sense you know he doesn't get 
many on the block post up opportunities. That's not really his thing. He don't take the mid range jumper. He was only four for 12 from the field last night. So even still like an off night, you know, four for 12, that's 33 percent from the field. That's that's not that's not good at all, especially in um, the biggest game of his career thus far. So. That won't get it done. But I, I think defensively, man, it was just tough on him last night. Giannis was giving it to him, giving it to him relentless. He was giving it to everybody. But, you know, it was a couple times where he was getting in that chest at Aiton. And Aiton, you know what I'm saying, you got a big guy like Giannis coming at you, you know what I'm saying, he getting that chest, you're going to feel that. I know that shit hurts shit from experience. You know, you're going to feel that somebody going in your chest, mm, pounding you and you know you got to take that for four quarters that's hard there was a couple of plays where you see him try to kind of stop some of that contact with his shoulder but Giannis was able to put a move on him or even even then just barrel through him and get him out out of defensive position so he couldn't make a block or even make a great contest and um you know uh he'll he'll learn from it young guy his first playoff performance and you go to the finals you know a lot of people don't don't a lot of players don't get a chance to make this deep of a run this early in their career. So I think he'll be back for sure. Devin Booker too, you know what I'm saying? These is young players. You feel me? Devin Booker's only like 26, I believe. Aiton's young, can't be older than 23, probably only 22 years old. So, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate what happened to the Suns. I just think that, you know, I, I've talked bad on uh, the Bucks coach. Uh, I believe his name, Mike Budenhoser. Uh, I can be corrected if I'm wrong. Like I said, I make mistakes, but I'm pretty sure that's his name. And I, I don't think he'd be making great adjustments. And, you know, that's been a knock on him from a lot of people other than myself. But I'll say this, um, whatever game plan he had going, going into this game, it worked defensively. Like defensively, they was really sound. And like they kept the Suns to under 100 points. That's to be talked about because the Suns can score. You know, they, they're, they're a good team. They kept them to under 100 points and down the stretch, uh, they was able to make the plays defensively they needed to. And and some of those were self-inflicted wounds too, you know, a fumble ball by Chris Paul that leads to a turnover, um, you know, just, just silly mistakes, um, shot clock violations, you know, th- things to that nature that's, that's you know, de- good defense causes them, but you got to execute while you're on offense too. But shout out to the Bucks, They did their thing. I'm, I'm happy for Giannis. Um, I've often, I've often said like, I, I ain't the biggest fan of Giannis game. Cause like I said, I like to see bag, you know, I'm more of, I got a little bias towards guards. That's what I played when I hooped. And you know what I'm saying? Those are just the guys I like to watch. And, um, but I do appreciate all aspects of the game. And like Giannis, like I said, he dominated this whole series, this whole playoffs in a Shaq fashion. Give it to me down low. Can't nobody stop me. I'm dunking on you. I'm finishing through you. And I think nothing, something else that's really notable about last night's game is Giannis's free throw shooting. Because that's usually the answer to those type of players. You know, we've seen it happen to Shaq with the hacker Shaq. And, you know, that's usually team's answer when... Um, you got to dominate big. They file him. Okay, make you earn all your points from the free throw line. But Giannis, they they tried to hack him 17 and 19 from the free throw line last night. Just an incredible job knocking down free throws. He earned it, man. Giannis made sure that they wasn't leaving Milwaukee. And it, it happened for him. Uh, happy for those guys. Man, I think just to speak on these playoffs as a whole, man, I think it was good to see two markets we don't get to often see. Um, a little while back, I was reading the stats and it was like a handful of teams. I think it was like the Heat since like 96 or something like that. Um, 
it's either been like the Heat, Spurs, Lakers, Warriors, or the Celtics. You know, like those teams, you know, the big market story franchise teams. It's usually those teams in the finals. And to see a, a team we don't we don't see in the finals often uh, or for even that matter, make deep playoff runs. You know, the Bucks up, up until Giannis's emergence as like a superstar talent. You know, the Bucks wasn't no um, perennial um, playoff team who, who who was there every year in the conversation. And the Suns had kind of been a little bit of a joke, too. You know, they hadn't made the finals since Charles Barkley took them back in 93. And um, they had some success, some limited success when um, Steve Nash played and Amari Stoudemire and those guys. But this is probably the strongest Nets team we've seen. As far as success, this is definitely the most successful team we've seen since 93. Unfortunately, same result. Um, you know, you lose in the finals to, to great player. You know, Giannis, 26 years old, man. Two MVPs, defensive player of the year, final, finals MVP. Got a ring, man. At, at 26, that's a great resume to have. Um, he, he's writing his legacy, man, right now. And um, he definitely going to go, go, go down as one of them greats. You know, I've been seeing a lot as I scroll through my ESPN apps and social medias and whatnot, like, oh, Giannis, uh, top three power forward all time right now. I think it's a little too early to tell, man. But at 26, he got a hell of a resume. I say that much. You know, at 26, we look at the list of greats, and, you know, it's not too many of them who has what he has at 26 years old. So, shit, I, I think at the end of the day, maybe it is fair to say that. Um, I, I wouldn't argue too much of against it, but but let's see let's see how the rest of his career pan out. Cause you know what do we say in seven years from now when this is the only ring he got? You know what I'm saying? Maybe the narrative changed a little bit. So it's kind of hard to argue the the whole where he ranked when we talking about guys who still in pivotal primes and you know what I'm saying still at the core of their careers. You know, it's easier to talk about LeBron in the goat situation or where does Chris Paul rank in top point guards of all time because these are guys who like you know they coming upon the end of their roller coaster you know what i'm saying we only gonna have so many years looking at them but even then the legacy talk sometimes comparison is the killer of quality man and sometimes when you compare too much it just it just kills what's going on and it's great players man it's, it's a blessing to be able to watch these great players we seeing a lot of legends in the making and a lot of legends um that's on, on their way out of the league so you know, gotta gotta speak on that some. Just a uh, a little bit of a transition, man. We are gonna talk a little football today. You know, as the NBA done wrapped up, it's time to start the the NFL season and college football season is coming on fast, and it's t time to start. You know, chit chatting a little bit about what's going on on the gridiron, man. I'm a former football player myself. I played at Malone University and Concordia University in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Malone University was in Canton. It got uh, shut down. They shut the football program down my freshman year there. So uh, that's a little bit about me and my sports journey. I was a beast. You know what I'm saying? I was All-American. No, I'm capping. I was none of that. I think I was a good player. But, you know what I'm saying? I ain't had no crazy stats or nothing like that. Uh, but I knew the game. I could make plays. A little undersized. But, hey, you know what I'm saying? Everybody ain't going to be the six-fold behemoth. Uh, you know what I'm saying? That's just, that's just how this works. It's just how I go. But, <laughs> anywho, uh, off that tangent... I want to speak a little bit on the 12-team playoff. That's something that's being considered for college football. And um, I, I think it's an interesting thing. I think I have a, a variety of opinions on it. I think that I think it's great for the business aspect 
of things for college football. You know, of course, you know, um, players get to showcase themselves in more games, uh, further market themselves. Like if you're one of those guys, uh, a, a great playoff, great playoff performance, you know, whether you play only one round or you play, you get to move on and play three playoff games, however the case may be for your school, I think it's a good chance for guys who's like maybe on that, oh, he's a fourth rounder, fifth rounder, second day, third day. Maybe you can bump yourself up in the first day or, you know what I'm saying, bump yourself up a couple rounds and make yourself some more money, showcase yourself a little bit more. Um, of course, the school's going to get a chance to make some more money as success continues. And then, you know, uh, with with more playoff games, that means um, the the importance of these because I'm pretty sure they'll they'll um, merge them with bowl games. They'll, they'll do it how they need to do it. But it's just going to be another opportunity for the um, participating parties to make more money, including TV deals and things to that nature. You know, viewers is going to tune in. Everybody loves football, you know, and. On the fan side of things, you know, everybody wants to see more games, one more game, two more games, three more games. But um, I, I think in a way this could be harmful for the players because in a couple of different aspects, um, with more games, more injuries will happen. That's just I, besides some type of crazy type of science and correlation. I think that's just common sense. If we play 10 games. And let's say nobody got hurt. You know what I'm saying? That's a blessing in and of itself. Ten games and injury free. Well, playing one more game is just another game where you can risk injury for both teams. You know what I'm saying? Anybody participating. Crazy things happen on the football field. I've, I've seen a lot of crazy things myself and I've been hurt. You know what I'm saying? It, you never know. You know what I'm saying? You don't wish injury upon anybody. And I hope that doesn't happen. But it definitely heightens the risk of, of injury. Um... I think it diminishes the value of the regular season games, too. And I know Dabo Sweeney said that as well. Um, I got a quote from him. I'm, I'm going to give you on a little bit. But I, I think that's important to speak on because, man, like, you know, players are already probably, you know what I'm saying? This is just how it is. Towards the end of the season. Well, I won't even say towards the end of the season. But some games just don't mean as much as others. That's just the the reality of this thing in sports you know you play a team that's like a scrub team you already you know what i'm saying all right i can put it on cruise a little bit today and the great ones never put it in cruise don't get me wrong but that's just real that's just how this shit go you know what i'm saying you got all right they scrub for real you know what i'm saying i ain't gotta be in in that deep of the bag like i would if we was playing like if i'm at alabama or something i'm not thinking about missouri or goddamn vanderbilt the same way i'm looking at georgia Texas A&M and LSU and Auburn. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's two different approaches. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm just speaking as a player. I know as a program, as a community over there, they approach every game the same way. You can see what the level of success Bama has year in and year out. But that's just how this shit go as players sometimes. You you know, not every player approaches every game like it's their last. That's that's just literally the reality of it. Um, and, and I think if we expand to a 12-game playoffs, well, if you a team like Bama, shit, what, what's stopping them from resting? You know what I'm saying? You know, they play an FCS school, shit, once a year. and Or like say, you know what I'm saying, when they go in to play some of these weaker teams in the SEC that they know is a guaranteed dub, you know what I'm saying? What's stopping them from resting some key guys? Because you got more important games to play. They know they're going to make the playoffs. A one-loss Bama team, hell, even with a with a 12-team play, play, playoff, a two-loss Bama team will make it every year. I guarantee it. 
a, a two-loss Bama team will find its way into to the college football playoffs at 12 teams. A one-loss team for sure gets in there, and of course you get in if you undefeated. So and I just think it'll diminish, it'll heighten maybe um, regular season games for some teams. Who knows? The situations will be interesting and be different um, from conference to conference, team to team. I just think maybe it, it, it puts a little bit less of an emphasis on, on playing every regular season game uh, like your last. And, and it's starting to see, especially with the NIL, man, this shit's starting to look a little pro-ish, man. You got you got people getting money. You know, that that's going to be in the back of players' head. I don't want to fuck my money up um, on a, a regular season game against a scrub team. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to, all right, you know what I'm saying? Let me save a little bit of fuel so that way. When the postseason get here, I can give my best effort, play my best ball. But um, we'll see. It's interesting. Um, I, I think it'll work itself out how it works itself out. I, I think it's definitely inevitable. Right now, it's talk and it's a possibility. You know, they, they're using that type of language when we speak about it. But I, I think this 12-team playoff is inevitable. It Monetarily, it, it makes too much sense for the people who going to ultimately make these decisions it, I think it's, it's just too beneficial in those areas. And um, the players will adjust how they need to adjust. Um, maybe we shorten the regular season. Things, things will change definitely. But but still, I still think even with a shortened regular season, it diminishes the value of those games because they're, they're, they're going to be guaranteed win games. Now, if you're a team like a, a um, group of five team, you know, let, let's take a Cincinnati. Shit, I think it further emphasizes the regular season. Okay. You know, let's let's try to get a good seating. You know, let's play with seating and things like that. Let's try to get higher up so maybe we can get a team. You know what I'm saying? If you're Cincinnati, like last year in the final rankings, they finished eighth. Okay, so that would probably mean they play. Let's see. Well, I got the rankings from last year. It was Bama. The final the final rankings from last year's college football seasons were as follows. Bama one, Clemson two, Ohio State three. Notre Dame four, Texas A&M five, Oklahoma six, Florida seven, Cincinnati eight, nine was Georgia, 10 Iowa State, 11 Indiana, 12 Coastal Carolina. So, so in, 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 okay, Dabo Sweeney said that, and I quote, I don't think there's 12 teams good enough. It's a little, it's a little arrogant, you know, when it comes off and you just read that quote. But when you hear him out, he actually has some good logic, and he was saying some things that I kind of agree with, and, and for the, you know, what I'm saying it, that at least makes sense when when we talking about this college football thing. Um, you know, because because all right, let's say I just named y'all the seedings from one to one through twelve. If a twelve team playoff existed last season, we'd get a, a Bama and Coastal Carolina matchup. Barring that they find some other way to do the brackets and you know make it, make the seedings in the first round matchups different, whatever is possible. Never know what they could cook up, but you know Bama and Coastal Carolina, you you'd get Clemson and Indiana. Ohio State and Iowa State, Notre Dame and Georgia, Texas A&M and Cincinnati, and then Oklahoma and Florida. Okay, some of those games in the middle, like like Notre Dame and Georgia could have been interesting. Texas A&M and Cincinnati may be interesting. I I think Texas A&M comes out on top there, but it it could be interesting to watch. I mean, Cincinnati gave Georgia a hell of a run for their money. Um... Probably should have won that game, honestly. So, you know what I'm saying? Uh, 
Maybe some of these in the mid middle matchups become interesting, but Clemson is 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 thoroughly handling handing a whooping, a ass whooping to Indiana. Bama is is probably gonna win by 150 against Coastal Carolina. Uh, Ohio State and Iowa State could be entertaining, but I, I don't think that Iowa State would beat Ohio State. See, I, I think these games become in, entertaining, like, you know what I'm saying, maybe first half entertainment, but I know Bama and Clemson for sure winning that. Ohio State is probably doing the same. It, it gets a little interesting in the middle, but I don't see Bama. I, I still think Bama comes out on top, especially last year's Bama team. That was a hell of a team. But... This this 12 playoffs could be interesting. Now, I see where he says, I don't think there's 12 teams good enough. Because, honestly, what, what's going to happen now is now we don't get these situations where we get a Bama team that has a couple losses or, or, or like we've seen in the past, an Ohio State team that has that one untimely loss, but it's clearly better than probably the team that got in at that fourth spot or that third spot or whatever the case is. Now we don't have to go, go send them to a, a meaningless bowl game where – a lot of the big name players aren't going to play and, and, and things to that nature. Now we get a chance to, okay, well, you can still get in the playoffs and, and potentially uh, end up in the national championship. I, I think that's where it fixes some issues. That team that definitely should be in but didn't quite meet the resume part uh, of the criteria. And so they get left out. Like um, there were some arguments with Penn State a couple years ago. Um, that they should have been in or could have been in, you know, things like that. I think it fixes that issue where we have the team that, okay, yes, a one loss or two loss team that's definitely better than this other team that has that's undefeated in a weaker conference, you know, things to that nature. Like, for example, if Cincinnati would have got in over Texas, Texas A&M into the college football playoffs last year, and then we'd be looking at a, a, a Texas A&M team who had one loss, you know, and it's unfortunate to Bama. And so, you you know, you, you think like, oh, man, but we know Texas A&M is probably better than Cincinnati. And they'll give Bama a, a, a run for their money in a rematch more than Cincinnati would being the fourth seed going up against a one seed Bama. You know, that those type of hypotheticals right there, it, it kind of eliminates those situations when you got 12 teams because now it's just, OK, you know, you lost, you dropped the game, maybe two games because I imagine that. The back end of this will probably be some probably be some two loss teams like seeds 10, 11 and 12. Uh, maybe even we might see one year uh, a 12 seed being a three loss teams. Uh, unlikely, but it's possible. And I, I think it'll it'll help. You know, what I'm saying alleviate some of those issues. I, I me personally, I think it'll be fun for watch. If you're a fan, you'll enjoy it. Um, if you love football, you'll enjoy you'll enjoy a 12 team playoff. No, nobody who loves the game is going to complain about more football. Just like I was a player at one point in time, and I know a lot of people who still are players. Um, you you just wonder what type of adjustments and what type of benefits will this bring bring the players because the players have to have some benefit off this because they're going to make a lot of money for people playing more games, but they have to see, they have to see benefits too. And with the NIL, I think it, I think it makes things interesting. I don't think recruiting will be the same moving forward with this NIL because a lot of programs will be able to use the fact that they can put you on in a great platform to market yourself and build your brand. That'll be a huge recruiting pitch legally now. You know, they can they can really play their cards right in that area. And, and you might get to see some some kids might start being homers like, 
say a kid from Houston, Texas, who's like a five star, instead of going to a power five school, maybe a University of Houston, like we seen Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver was like, I'm pretty sure at the time, like the highest recruited, um, the highest recruited recruit to not go to a power five. You know, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but he was like a high level four star, five star guy who went to Houston. You know, I think we'll with the NIL, we'll see more of that, especially if players have an opportunity to make some money, build their brand. And now with a 12 team playoffs, who knows? You, It's not, you know, Bama, of course, will be there now. Guaranteed the Bama's, the Clemson's, the Ohio State, they'll be there, especially in the foreseeable future. But now if you're 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 a school like Iowa State, you can start telling your recruits like, yeah, man, we going to be in that playoffs. I guarantee you, you can. You know what I'm saying? Man, I promise you, you come here, you're going to have a chance to get in them playoffs. That's realistic. That's not just, you know, you rapping to them. That that can be real rap right there. So, you know, I think the NIL mixed with this makes college football, like, so interesting moving forward. Um, it's going to be, like, I remember the first college football back in, like, 2014, I believe, was the first year of this. Uh, I think the national championship game was played in 2014. So it was, like, maybe the 2013 season. Uh, the year Ohio State won, um, you know, I, I remember it being crazy then and seeing how it worked and Ohio State got in and they beat Bama. Then they handled business against Oregon. And like, you know, in a couple years from now, like let's say three years from now, three years from now, it'll be 20, 2024 and it'll be 10 years of this college football playoffs. Man, time's flying, ain't it? But It'll be 10 years of the college football playoffs, and it's going to be amazing to see the drastic change because I believe within the next couple seasons, we'll see this 12-team playoff. Like I said earlier, it's inevitable for sure. Um, Really interesting, but I, I think I think it's good. I think it's good for business, good for players. I think players will find a way to make the most of it. And like I said, uh, football could get real interesting. College football could get real interesting moving on. That NIL is going to change a lot of things. Recruiting, you're going to see a lot of kids – um, probably swayed to stay home now, you know, home can give you a lot of, um, sponsorships and ways to promote and build your brand if you stay home. So you could see like home, home teams, uh, home schools having a chance to really strengthen their recruiting pitch. Um, and I, I think it also, it also kind of handicaps a little bit too. Cause if you're a Bama, now you already had the heaviest way to recruit saying, Oh, come here because, Every class wins a national championship here. It's like bound to happen. <laughs> at some point in your Bama career, you're going to win a natty and you at least going to win the SEC. You know what I'm saying? You're going to have some jewelry and some things to show for. And then you throw in the fact like, yeah, because uh, I believe Saban, said, Saban just said recently that um, Bryce Young, the quarterback um, that's that's probably going to be starting for Bama this upcoming season, he he close to seven figures. And in, in like endorsements, sponsorships and things like that, partnerships. So, you know, that's going to be a part of Bama's recruiting pitch, man. We can we can give you all type of all type of we can put you in the right places. You know what I'm saying? Because not everybody going to go pro, but this gives everybody a chance to make some money to like really position themselves. And like, you know, um, of course, if you go into a Bama, I, I think your chance to make some some money as a college athlete is a lot higher than if you commit to a, a coastal Carolina. You know, I don't I don't think it's too outlandish to say something like that. But at the same time, you know, schools that's kind of been like on on the bubble of being good, good teams and competitive teams that kind of challenge top schools. You know, this is their chance to really like 
enter into the realm with those heavy hitters. So, you know, like I said, we'll see this. This will be interesting. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what it holds, honestly. Moving on a little bit, um, I seen a graphic as I was scrolling through Twitter. And it was like, it was by Pro Football Focus. And it said, build the perfect wide receiver. And uh, the categories were as followed. Size, speed, hands, and routes. And for me, so I, I built my perfect wide receiver. Some of these might be like uh, cliche or popular, but nevertheless, I'm going to let y'all hear them because shit, I feel like this is the, the best receiver you can build within these four categories. And I'm just choosing players to kind of dissect. All right. So size DK Metcalf. That's a huge. He's a he's a big ass dude. You know, shit. I don't think it's too many receivers that's as big as him. And he he cut up. And shit, y'all seen a picture with him and AJ Brown flexing and shit. That's a that's a big boy. So shit, size we gonna go DK. Speed, I'm gonna go with the fastest. The you know what I'm saying Tyreek Hill is like the fastest motherfucker in the NFL. So why why not? You know, speed. You got DK size, Tyreek Hill speed, crazy combination. DK DK Metcalf is fast in his own right, but you know Tyreek Hill speed that's blazing. DK Metcalf size, crazy combination. There and then, then hands, hands. DeAndre Hopkins. He had a he had a season where he had no drops. He's consistent. He'll catch the ball. If they touch his hands, you can pretty much guarantee the ball is caught if the ball touches his hands. So um, that I think that's an easy choice. Hands, D Hop, um, routes. See, see, routes was an interesting one. It was a little bit more of a of a debate with myself. For routes because you can go a lot of ways. I thought initially I thought I was thinking young dudes like Justin Jefferson, Jerry Judy, them is some great route runners. And as they develop and get more skilled in the NFL game, I think we're gonna see them turn into like definitely some of the best route runners in the league. AJ Brown is a really good route runner. Um Amari Cooper is good. Devontae Adams, you know, Keenan Allen, like there's a, a strong list of people you can choose from. I ultimately went with Odell Beckham Jr. because I remember like when I was watching Odell when he played for the Giants, you know, he's been struggling a little bit with health while he's been with Cleveland and, you know, he hasn't really been able to get in his groove yet. I think we'll see a big year from him. But I remember watching him when he was in that Giants uniform, man. And I remember saying to myself, like, hey, man, his routes is crazy. Like I played D-line my whole football career, right? But I, I remember, like, be practicing routes outside, like, when the receivers would be throwing with the quarterbacks after practice or they before practice or something. I'm out there running routes trying to mimic him. Like, his route running was sensational to me. It always something that stood out about his game. Creative-ass routes, the way he stick and move, get in and out of his breaks, the cuts, the breakdowns, the suddenness, the uh, way he shift his weight. I think Odell got that shit down to a science. And it's not just him. It's a lot of other receivers. Um, like I said, this could have gone to anybody. But, you know, all them guys that I named and some more because, you know, shit, they bound to leave some people out. This is just how this shit go. But I, I think that would be my perfect receiver, though. Routes of Odell Beckham Jr., hands of DeAndre Hopkins, speed of Tyreek Hill, size of DK Metcalf. I, I think there go your perfect perfect um, wide receiver. Right there. Shit, it don't get no better than that. And I think me personally, I am all of this. So if anybody think they can check me, you can get at your boy, you feel me? Uh, and I'll make sure I route you up because I'm really like that. Oh, and I hoop too. I got a bucket for anybody listening and anybody challenging what you want to do. I'm confident in my hoop skills. Now, I did not say I could beat everybody 
before you go start, you know what I'm saying, for, for the people who was damn near D1 or NFL borderlines trying to, trying to, you feel me, no, this ain't that, but I'll give you buckets. I know that much. I, I got a bucket for anybody who I step out on the court with. Shit. I'm confident in my game. <laughs> but you feel me? It's your boy B-Will, man. It's been fun chopping it with y'all. Uh, even though it's kind of me chopping it with myself. But shit, dude, I, whatever. However you want to describe that. I appreciate y'all for listening, man. Um, early in the podcast, this episode two, man. I want y'all to keep, keep listening. Keep growing with me. I'm going to get better. We going to... Keep keep looking for ways to add this, add to the podcast and make it worth worth your time and uh just grow with me. And, and I'm I'm having fun doing this, man. I appreciate y'all for listening. Y'all can follow me on Twitter at bwill underscore 419. That's bwill underscore 419. And on Instagram at b.will underscore 419. That's b.will underscore 419 for my Instagram. Like I said, appreciate y'all for listening. Holla at your boy. Thank y'all.